Hi everybody, welcome back to the Babbling Bearded Biker podcast. Thanks again for tuning in, and here comes this episode. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Babbling Bearded Biker podcast. So what I'm going to be talking about in this episode is Norse paganism, and what it is, and what it's what it stands for. Now, when people hear about Norse paganism, they think Vikings, which Norse paganism was what a majority of Vikings followed um, until Christianity took over in the 1000s. So, Norse paganism is a religion which predated Christianity, and it was seen as a archaic religion when it was um, when the followers were converted by Christians um, in the Scandinavian countries and um, Lower Germany. But to this day, Norse paganism and paganism on the whole, sort of Wiccan, witches, all of that, is seen as a dead religion. But but with um, TV shows, etc., it's all it's coming back. Um, I am a Norse pagan. I've been a Norse pagan for a couple of years now. Um, how how did I get to be a Norse pagan? Is a question. So, I've always for the past ten fifteen years I've always worn a molnir, which is the hammer of Thor. And I don't know, I didn't know why I wore it. I just liked the design and I liked the the following behind it. But it was only the past couple of years where I've actually got deeper into it and read about it and read the Edders and the Havimal, Havimal. So my, my pronunciation is going to be awful because I'm not from Scandinavian country. Um, so it's only recently I've actually got into it properly and did my own research. Now they do call Norse paganism the religion with homework because you need to have a look and actually read up on it to get a full view of what it actually is. Now, I was raised a Christian, went to church, had Holy Communion, all of that sort of thing. Um, as I got older, I found myself not believing in any God. I was um, an atheist. I didn't believe in any anything like that. Um, and I, I didn't have a religion up until the last few years. But I can't pinpoint when I was exactly, um, I exactly realised that I actually identify a lot with this particular religion, with Norse paganism. Um, I can't identify when it exactly happened. But I've always been, I've always been quite spiritual and I've always been drawn to the countryside and to the sea and to to rivers. And I've, I've always loved being in, sort of hilly mountainous terrain so living in Norfolk obviously don't get much of that um but I was I lived for 10 years in Northumberland ironically not far from uh, Lindisfarne where the Vikings first came ashore to England um so I've always been drawn to it always been drawn to the spiritual side of things I like nothing more than to jump on my motorbike on my own go for a ride and just end up in a, a little country back road somewhere and just observe everything that's going on. Now, I looked at the the Eddas, um, which were written, uh, the written stories about the gods and about what they did and how they got to where 
where we are. And I identified with quite a few of them. And the the way that it works is like the gods don't they don't help they don't make you do things they don't do things for you they they give you guidance and it's something that I identified with there's a, the the few deities um, in the religion that you identify with personally and I have a few which I'll come on to shortly and I just read in the stories. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed reading the stories. Really enjoyed uh, the lore that went with it, um, and I start to feel, I start to feel like I identify with it more and more and more. So I decided to follow, and over the past couple of years, it has given me comfort, especially during the pandemic, which is the struggle for all of us, even more so for nursing staff. And one of the deities is the goddess Ea, who is the, the goddess of healing and health. And I felt more attached to her than I did a, a Christian god. And that that's something which I'm which I'm happy with. Um so I don't know how I got here. Glad I did. <laughs> but it is something that I'm that I'm quite quite happy with. So to be a Norse pagan, you've got to respect um, the Mother Earth. You've you've got to respect your your ancestors. You've got you don't have to respect the gods, but if you swear a oath to them and you break that oath, then you won't have a very good afterlife. And and it's all it. The, the gods, the way I see it, are more human than other, you know, other religions, you know, and that that is something that I think brought me a bit closer to them, was knowing they do have faults, they're not this all-seeing, all-knowing, never-make-a-mistake gods, because if you read the Eddas, you will see that mistakes have been made by the gods and they own it. Some of them are portrayed as absolute arseholes, I'm not going to lie. But they own that and they, you know, they, they show that they are infallible and they will make mistakes and hold their hands up to it. So I keep mentioning the gods, but who, who are the gods? So the first one, I'm, I'm going to go through a few, which most people will know from Marvel, um, which the Marvel... Um, depiction of them isn't necessarily the same as the Norse pagan depiction of them. So you've got Odin, who's the All-Father, or the the Wanderer, the One-Eyed, or the Traveller, he's known as. So he he is the head of the gods. He is the All-Father. And he's known for shape-shifting, and you'll in some of the uh, depictions, he's wearing a cloak with a walking, big walking stick like a shillelagh and a wide-brimmed hat. And he, he walks around, he talks to people. Um, in one of the stories in Havimal, he went into someone's house, knocked on a door as a stranger, and as part of Norse paganism, if someone knocks on your door as a stranger, 
you are to invite them in. Invite them in and look after them. Which we'll come on to later. Something about that and the uh, the Nazism, but we'll move on to that later. Um, so be wary of them, but invite them in. Keep them, keep them comfortable. Treat them as your family. And he's done that and he's called people out for not doing that. So next you've got Thor. Everybody knows Thor. Marvel films. Um, Hemworth, one of the Hemworths. Now, Thor is a god of lightning and thunder. And he's well known um, in popular culture. But also, like I said, what's seen in popular culture isn't exactly seen what's what the um, the editors and the stories say. Because in popular culture, he's shown as this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, absolute Adonis of a man, six-pack, etc., etc. But as it happens, in the actual editors, it's closer to the Thor that's in the God of War. Ginger hair, big beer belly, because he likes his mead, man after me or not. Um, and he... He's known for his his quick anger, hence the lightning. But in the Thor films and the Marvel films, he's seen as a very nice person. He is a nice, sort of a nice person, but he's known to have a quick anger, especially when it comes to his wife, Sif. Um, but like I said, the depictions in Marvel and other Popular culture are completely different to what it actually is in the editors itself. Then we're going to move on to Loki. Now again, comes up with Marvel. Everybody knows Loki. Um, so Loki is the god of mischief. So he's half a seer, half god, and half Jotun, which is giant. Um, the North Pagan gods have a very, very long bloodline, a very bizarre um, family tree, should we say? Um, so he is the one who betrayed the gods and forced one of the gods to kill another god without him knowing. Um, involved a blind god and one of Odin's sons and an archery competition, which led to Loki being tied to a boulder. Um, in, the, in the middle of a mountain with poison being dripped onto him for all eternity, being bound there. Now, Loki, the way I see it, is one of the first gender-fluid people, because he, he's a shapeshifter. He could change to whatever shape he wished. He could change to a woman, change to a man. He could change to an animal. He could change to whatever he wished. So there could be some parallels with that and um, today's today's non-binary um, sexual, no, not sexuality, non-binary gender. He also um, shapeshifted himself into a horse. Uh, there was a the Asgard, the home of the gods. There's a threat from the Jotuns, or Mabin Frost giants, I can't remember either or some giant of some description, and this man came. And said, um, I'll build you a wall, but I want Thor's wife, Sif. Obviously, Thor wasn't happy with that. Um, but they decided to go 
to go with it. No, sorry, I didn't want to see if he wanted Freya, who was Odin's wife. And this man said, I will build you a wall, but I want, I want Freya. Now Freya is known as one of the most beautiful people, beautiful goddesses in the world or in the universe. And the only time that, that he said it, he wouldn't do it, or hang on, I'm getting my stories mixed up here. Anyway, long story short. Um, so, so the um, the wall builder um, had a horse, and he said, and the only way he could do he could do the wall was to use his horse, and obviously, it's a horse with massive strength. And what happened was Loki shapeshifted himself to a female horse and the stallion got Loki as he's um, shapeshifted into a horse pregnant. And, okay, she, the female horse, i.e. Loki, gave birth to Slepnia, which is an eight-legged horse, which he gifted to... Odin as his steed. Now, you know it's all law. It's all in the Eddas. Um, I can't, I can't do off the top of my head to be honest. I'm going in front of me, so I'll probably get my stories mixed up a little bit there. But I know that Loki did shapeshift into a horse and was impregnated by a stallion. Then he gave birth to an eight-legged horse that I named Slepnir, which he gifted to Odin, the Allfather. Um, so going back to gender fluidity. Fluid, fluidity, um, and that sort of thing. You know, this this was written, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, uh, thousands of years ago. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot to unpack there, to be honest. And then you've got Tia, Tia, the god of war. Now he's someone that I quite identify with, and the god of war and the god of justice. Now Tia's only got one hand. He had his left hand, I believe. No, he had his right hand, I believe, bitten off by Fenrir, the wolf, who, in Ragnarok, the end of the universe, the um, wolf Fenrir will consume the sun. And just to make it more confusing, Fenrir is actually a child of Loki, like I said, very confusing bloodlines and family trees. The story is they that this wolf came in to Asgard, and Loki begged them not to kill it. And every day this wolf grew and grew and grew and grew to the point where they couldn't contain it anymore. So Fenrir was bound. Um, because he was growing so much, they tried to bind him twice with large metal chains, but he broke them, he shattered them both. So they commissioned the dwarfs to create an unbreakable bind. Now, the dwarfs used six impossible ingredients. There were a sound of a cat's footfall, beard of a woman, roots of a mountain, sinews of a bear, breath of a fish and a spittle of a bird. So they made this this um this binding which was about the same same uh width 
as uh, silken thread, but it's stronger than any chain and it's stronger than anything. But Fenrir knew this. He knew knew the gods were trying to deceive him. So he said, one of you put your hand in my mouth to prove to me that this isn't a trick. So Tia being one of the most courageous and known for great wisdom and bravery, said, I'll do it and put his hand in while the other gods bound him. After Fenrir found out he couldn't break the ropes, he bit off the hand of, of Tia. And his tear is called Leavings of the Wolf. And this thread is supposed to hold until Ragnarok, the end of days, until Fenrir breaks free from his chains and swallows the sun and kills Odin and all the gods and all the Azir. And that's tear and... I aspire to have the bravery and courage to do something like that. So the next one is a goddess who not much is known about. There's not much written about her. Her name is Ea. She is a goddess, goddess of health and healing. Now, someone I closely identify with because of my job and what I do for a living. And she she is known as the healer. Now, she's in in the passages that she's written in, which, like I said, isn't many. Um, she has shown healing various various people by using herbs and stuff from the ground and very holistic, rudimentary medicine, but still medicine nonetheless. And identify quite closely with her. Then it's got Freya, who is a the beautiful goddess of fertility and cats. <laughs> she is a goddess of cats. Her chariot is pulled by cats. Um, and then you've got the Norns. You've got three sisters who are Order, Vedante, and Skald, which is a past, present, and future. So I believe that all our fates are intertwined. Now, no matter what we do, we cannot change those fates. And they make the fates at the bottom of the world tree of Yggdrasil, which is where Odin lost his eye. And you've got the well, Erda's well, at the bottom of Yggdrasil, where they get their fates from. And the way that Odin got wisdom was by hanging upside down for nine days from Yggdrasil when he he was told by the Norns, I believe, if you want this wisdom, you have to remove your eye. And he did it. And he got wisdom. He learned how to read runes and how to write runes. And that's one of the reasons he's known as the Allfather purely because of that wisdom. So that's that's just some of the gods. That's not all of them. There's loads of gods. But that's some of the more obvious Azir and ones which people know mostly about. 
So let's move on to popular culture. Vikings, Norse in popular culture. So you've got the TV series Vikings. I absolutely loved that. Yes, some of the some of the bits were wrong um, when it comes to the gods especially, but it's TV. You watch it for what it is. Uh, Vikings Valhalla, still waiting on a second, second season on that, so I hope Netflix gets its arse into gear. Um, you've got Assassin's Creed Valhalla. That, that was a multi-million pound video game, which I'm still currently playing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, Marvel, you've got your, your Thor films, your Loki episodes, series, sorry. Um, and again, it's all popular culture, so it's not true to the gods, not true to Norse paganism, but it is entertaining as such. My daughter is such a Marvel fan, it's amazing, but she's I've taught her a bit about, about my religion, about Norse paganism, and she's tying that in together, which isn't a bad thing. It's all knowledge. And it's getting a bit of a, a marketing gimmick as well when it comes to this, like beard oil, Viking beard oil, look like a Viking. Um, eh, okay, I'm not quite sure how that works, but I'm pretty sure the Vikings didn't use beard oil, but you never know. Um, and there's quite a few... Um, quite a few companies which use Viking in their name to get, you know, to get money, to get publicity, because it's seen as such a popular thing at the minute that everybody wants Viking. Everybody. I mean, there's a company called Norse in Norwich who is a contractor. They do do everything. They do bins. They do, yeah, they do a lot of stuff, catering. So, I mean, it's it's quite popular stuff. And having Viking in the name brings ideas of toughness and manliness. So I can see how it works. Um, but still, I'm a bit, bit confused by it, not going to lie. So moving on to the afterlife now and the nine realms in Norse mythology. So these are all kept in... Sorry, not kept and spoken about in the the Eddas. And there's nine nine realms, and they're held in the branches and the roots of the world tree, which is Yggdrasil, which we've spoken about before. So each realm has a different kind of being. So the first one is Niflhelm, which is a realm of fog and mist, and it's the darkest and coldest region of all the realms. And it's it's one of the first of the two realms in um, in the Eddas. And then you have the, I've got to try and pronounce this now, Muspelheim, which is the land of fire, which is far south of anything. It's a burning hot place full of lava, flames, sparks and soot. And it's a home of the fire giants, freed fire demons, and ruled by the god Suter. That quite closely resembles hell in Christian um, Christian beliefs. And Suter is a sworn enemy of the Azir. And at the end of days, he will attack Asgard. And then we move on to Asgard, which is the home of the gods, where Odin lives, and many others, gods and goddesses. The, the the leader 
of Asgard is Odin. He is, like I said, the, the head of the Azir, which is where the, you know, which who the gods are. And inside the gates of Asgard, you'll find Valhalla, which is if you die honorably in battle and you are picked up by the Valkyries and you are taken to Valhalla, you will fight at the end of the days. And half half who die in battle go to Valhalla. The other half goes to Volkvanger, which is ruled by Freya. And when you're in Valhalla, you spend your days essentially training and fighting until Ragnarok, until the final days. And you spend all day fighting. If you get killed, you wake up again the next day. You have a massive feast with food, mead, everything you ever want. And then you go fight. Then if you die, you do it all again. If you're still alive, you do it all again. And there's a bit of a thing about Valhalla. You see people walking around with these bloody T-shirts on saying, you know, victory of Valhalla or that sort of thing. It's just another gimmick. And, you know, most real Norse pagans find it bloody cringy, to be honest. Because um, we know what it actually is. I mean, if you've died in battle, the last thing you want to do is keep fighting. Keep fighting until Ragnarok comes along. So you've got Midgard, which is below Asgard. And Midgard is a home of humans. It's where we currently live. And it's surrounded by oceans that are impassable on foot, which, you know, that sounds about right. Um, it's connected to Asgard by the Bifrost, or Bifrost, which is a rainbow bridge. So the gods can come across the bridge, see us, if, you know, give us guidance from, um, from Asgard. Then you've got Jotunheim, which is a home of the giants, um, who are also called Jotnar, and they're enemies of the Azir again. And it mostly consists of rocks, wilderness, and dense forest. And there's no fertile line in Jotunheim because the, the giants live off fish that they find in the rivers. And then you've got Vanheim, which is the home of the Vanir gods. So it's an old branch of gods that predated Odin, and they're masters of sorcery and magic. And at the end of the, the war between the Azir and the Vanir, there were three, three, um, sorry, one god and two goddesses who moved to Asgard to maintain peace, and one of them is Freya. Then you've got Alfheim, which is a home of the Light Elves. Now, the Light Elves are beautiful creatures. They're seen as guardian angels. And they're minor gods of nature and fertility. They can help or hinder humans with their knowledge of magical powers and are known for being poets in art and in music. Then you have Svafelheim, which is a home of the dwarfs. Now, the, the dwarfs are skilled, skilled people, skilled craftsmen. And the uh, Molnir thaws hammers crafted by elves, uh, crafted by dwarfs. 
and Odin's spear, Gunginir, was crafted by elves, uh, dwarfs, dwarfs, sorry, as well. Then you've got Helheim, which is the home of the dishonorable dead. Now, thieves, murderers, and knows that the gods do not feel brave enough to go to Valhalla or Vulcan go there. And it's ruled over by someone called Hel, H-E-L, who ironically is a daughter of Loki, strangely. And she is half beautiful woman, half decomposing body. And if you go to Helheim, you'll never feel joy or happiness again. And she'll use all of her dead to attack the gods at the end of the world. And that's that's the nine the nine worlds and what happens in the afterlife. What we believe will happen in the afterlife as Norse pagans. Now as well as the gods, Norse pagans um have a lot of respect for their ancestors and I'm currently working for my family tree I've gone back to the 1800s so far and it's something that you know we make offerings to to our ancestors and we we speak to our ancestors they don't speak back but pretty sure they hear us and we remember them in everything we do um, I've lost three of my family members in about three years, and I remember them every day, all of them. My nan and my granddad, my uncle Jeff, we remember them all the time, and we never, and and we try to make them proud in our day to day lives. And it's something that brings me comfort, definitely knowing that one day, when I do pass that I'll be in a hall with them, drinking, eating, and just talking about our lives. And that is something that's brought me a lot of comfort and brings a lot of Norse pagans comfort as well. So knowing that we will see them again, and when we see them, we're going to have a damn good party. And my family are very well known for partying. If any of my family members are listening, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to move on to the dark parts of Norse paganism now, something that's overshadowed Norse paganism. And when people see the runes and say Thor's hammer, the Molnir, for example, they immediately think we're a bunch of racists. And I'm just going to explain why that feeling is. So there's something called the Nine Noble Virtues, which one set was done by Sir Oswald Mosley, who was a member of, about the leader of the British Union of Fascists and National Socialists in the 1930s. And as the name suggests, he was a fascist. He um, got his arse handed to him quite a few times by anti-fascists. But he brought about um, with someone called uh, John Ewell, and John Gibbs Bailey in 1974. And it was redone again by someone called Stephen McNallan of the Assetrail Folk Assembly in 83. But these 
on on the whole of it, they don't sound too bad. Um, so the nine noble virtues is courage, truth, honor, fidelity, discipline, hospitality, self reliance, industrialness, and perseverance. So this, on the whole, on on the front of it, sounds absolutely fine. But when you delve a bit deeper into it, um, it's a bit. It starts getting quite well, racist and disgusting to be quite honest with you um so the fact it was made by an out and out fascist is enough for me to stay clear of it um because i am quite vehemently anti-fascist and the fact is made by oswald moldley oswald mosley shows that the the undercurrent it's fascism, and one of the things of that is the AFA, the Asset Trial Folk Assembly, who believe that all North Pagans should be white, and you can't be a North Pagan if you're black, or you're mixed race, or you're Hispanic, or any other skin colour than white. And that's very problematic for me. I do not believe in that at all. And simple fact that there is people who would call themselves my my brother or my sister in Norse paganism, they are not. They are not. They are part of part of a sect of Norse paganism which has absolutely destroyed um people's perception of Norse paganism. Um the Nazis did that in the fort in the thirties and forties. Um they they took our our runes and our symbols, um, like the the SS lightning runes. They're they're Viking. They're they're Norse. Um, they named some of their um, some of their regiments. And they named some of their um, military battalions after Norse things. Um, the eleventh SS vault. Volunteer Panzer Grenadier Division Nordland, which is Northland. Um, and they've used runes like the Odal wound and the Tear wound and the um the SS wound, double lightning was is a rune in Younger Fulthark, which is a type of you know, the type of runes. And they've used all of them, the Athala rune, which is the rune of Odin. Um and the Sonnenrad, the Black Sun, they took that. Thor's hammer, which I wear, um, is seen as white supremacist. The Tear Rune, the Valknot, they're all signs of that the Nazis have taken and turned, much like they did the swastika from the Buddhists. Because I remember when I was younger, I went to Malaysia with my family, and I went to a couple of temples. And it's covered in swastikas, and I couldn't understand until my dad explained to me, no, it's not the Nazi sign. They took it, and they changed it. So, you know, as a Norse pagan, you have to be you have to be aware of that. And, you know, it, makes, it paints us all in a bad light, um, which there is a, a very big anti-movement against the appropriation of our symbols by white supremacists and neo-Nazis.
And also, predominantly in the American prison system, you have got Odinism, which is the neo-Nazi white supremacist majority. Um, I mean, I've never been to prison, definitely not been to an American prison. But I think in there you kind of go with who's going to look after you and who's going to have you back. And if that means you've got to delve into Nazism, then that that's what happens. I wouldn't do it myself personally. I'd like to think I'm stronger than that, but unfortunately that's the way a lot of them haven't bought. I mean, a lot of the Facebook pages for North Paganism, they, they have a, quite a big um, American prison community who've, who've got into North Paganism via the American prison system. So like I said, it's all gangs mostly in there, and they go with... If if you're white, you go with the white gang. If you're black, you go with the black gang, et cetera, et cetera. But that's, that's what I presume anyway from stuff that I've read and stuff that I've seen. And you'll see a lot of them, um, especially on these Facebook groups, will be very against any sort of race mixing. Or if a black um, black North Pagan comes on, they say, oh, you can't be North Pagan, mate. You, you, you're not white. You, you're black. And that, to me, is just wrong. It really is wrong, because that's everything that God would stand against, I believe. And the Vikings themselves were quite an ethically diverse. So there was a ring found um, in a dig in Norway or Denmark, I can't remember, um, not long ago, a few years ago. It was a ring with Allah written on it or engraved on it in a Viking's burial ground and with the warrior who died with it. And that just says there's a lot of a lot of moving around, a lot of um, exploring. And, I mean, Russia was made by Rouse Vikings. That's where Russia comes from, Rouse, R-U-S. And, I mean, Vikings went as far as North America, um, Eric the Red. No, he sorry, Eric the Red found Iceland. And you know, they they found North America eight, nine hundred years before Christopher Columbus did. Um so the 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 idea that you can't be a Norse pagan if you're not white is just absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous, and it's something which I'm massively against. And every Norse pagan should be against that. They really should. And it's just absolutely wrong to think that, in my view. And so there is a book called The Havamal, which is a range of stories. I've got a copy. I've got two copies, as a matter of fact. Um, which the range of stories about how to conduct your life and one of the passages is on stanza 1 to 127, which on the Bellows translation is, Profit thou hast if thou hearest, great thy gain if thou learnest. If evil thou knowest, as evil proclaim it, then make no friendship with foes. And there's quite a few uh, various translation of this one. But what the way I take it, is 
one of the other translations, because there's, there's loads of people who have translated these. The most plain English one is where you recognize evil, speak out against it, and give no truces to your enemies. And that is something um, that a lot of Norse pagan organizations, uh, like the Asatrau community and Asatrau in the UK, have signed up called Declaration 127, which shows that we do not accept the Asatrau Folk Assembly, we do not accept Odinism, we do not accept the Nine Noble Virtues, that we see them as evil and we will give them no no quarter. And that is something that I believe every single Norse pagan should write, should should agree to, is that Norse paganism is a religion for all, not just those who are blonde-haired, blue-eyed. And that is something which I believe in a lot. I do believe in that. Have my 127 has got to be one of my most favourite stances of the whole, whole book. So that was a quick whistle-stop tour of Norse paganism and what it means to me and what and what it entails, also the, the murky side of the white supremacy side of it as well. And if anybody wants to ask me anything about it, I'll quite happily chat for hours. I mean, it's my longest podcast at 41 minutes, so I can chat for quite a while about this subject. So, as always, comments are welcome. Keep safe, everyone. Thanks. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening to me babble on. Your comments are all welcome, and I appreciate you listening to me. Look after yourselves.